Welcome to the Living Bulwark Podcast. I'm John Wilson. And I'm Bridget Bonifant. This is a podcast dedicated to introducing you to people throughout the Sword of the Spirit. We will invite a guest to each episode and just spend a few minutes getting to know them and hearing part of their story. Today we're talking with Jeff and Jackie Wald from the Community of Christ the Redeemer in St. Paul, Minnesota. Jeff and Jackie, it's great having you with us. Tell me a little bit about yourselves and your family. Go for it. <laughs> so we have Jeff and Jackie Wald. I'm originally from Miami, Florida, the community down there. Um, moved up here to do St. Paul's Outreach uh, gap year and then haven't gone back. We have, and then Jeff is from North Dakota, and we met at St. Thomas. Um, he was doing SPO as well. We have five boys, three biological, two adopted, and we do foster care. So right now we have a little foster girl in our care. How many, how many foster kids have come through your house? We have had... I think nine. Yeah, we, do, we just counted... Yeah, so we started about two and a half years ago, and we do emergency shelter as well. Um, so typically the way that it works is we get a call, and they'll say, um, we have a kid, this is the age, this is the gender, um, an idea maybe of why they're being removed, and then they're here within three hours. Mm. Wow. And then within that week, we usually find out a little bit more about what the hopes are. Um, so we've had kids stay for as short as four days. And then like the little girl we have now, she's been with us since November. Wow. What was your, um, what was your kind of decision process like to foster? Is that something one or the other of you had always wanted to do? Is it something you talked about when you were dating, when you're, you know, early marriage or, you know, is it something that just kind of came out of your time together? You know, I think that both of us independently, even when we were um, growing up, I think we both had it on our hearts to adopt. I remember you know, watching the, the Saturday morning cartoons um, and there was that old guy, the kind of the bearded guy who looked a little bit like uh, like Santa Claus, who going you know, to be walking in some African streets and, you know, for five cents a year, you can help a kid. Um, but I remember. Oh, you're a commercial. I thought this was like the cartoon. No, 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 like, no, no. No, the commercial. What kind of cartoon uh, is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was weird. <laughs> we watched some strange cartoons. I just remember being always very, very touched, even as a as a child, and desiring um, to um, just to care for for kids who orphans, really. Um, and I think same thing with Jackie. And when we started dating. As we were just talking about, you know, the desires of our heart, certainly adoption is something that came up before we were we were engaged. I don't know that it was at that point, at least for me, um, it wasn't necessarily foster care um, or adoption through foster care. Um, but that was something that they kind of um, we discerned as we went, um, knowing the O'Hara's who have been dear friends and mentors of ours. Um, they adopted four boys out of foster care in Arizona. 
Um, that certainly was an inspiration to us. And then just... And uh, we started doing respite for them, so just um, helping them out. And yeah, from then on, and when we first got married, we moved into uh, a Catholic worker house. So right away, that was our our first home. Um, and we had said like, what one of our, I don't know, it's kind of funny. One of our goals in our marriage was to know like real poor people. Um, and this was just another step towards that people, um, and children in particular who had the real poverty of not being able to be cared for by their parents. Yeah. And I'm only remembering this now when we first went through the process, we, our initial discernment was, Okay, we want to adopt. And then we discern further and said, well, we'd like to adopt out of the foster care system because there's a need there. And then we went through the training, got licensed. Um, but all of our kids at that point were relatively young. I think our oldest was, was seven. And some of the advice that we had gotten um, was try to keep your, um, birth your birth order intact as much as possible. So ideally not um, somebody older than our eldest, Alyosha, and, and ideally not even older than our youngest, who at that time was, was three. So in, in Minnesota, at least, there's a lot of need for adoption of teens or preteens, um, much fewer of um, younger kids, or they, or they would come as a sibling as set. A sibling set. Um, and so we kind of waited for several months, and then the opportunity came to do emergency shelter care, to do foster care. And... We said, great, we'll, we'll put our names on um, the emergency shelter care list. The idea being we wanted to meet a need. We thought, well, surely there is, or we assumed that there would be a need for adopting in the foster care system. There just wasn't that big of a need in our age group um, that we were able to adopt. And so um, this has just been a great way to, to fill um, a need. Wow, that's that's amazing. <laughs> I find that very inspiring. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit of just what that experience has been like for you guys. I know it's probably like the most massive question ever, um, but just I guess some things that the Lord has maybe taught you guys personally, has taught your family through this process, um, some things that you've really learned from the Lord. Yeah, I think something that's really lately stood out to us, which is really interesting because it's not something that I would have thought I would have learned or gained through the process, but it's a gift of freedom um, in parenting in particular. And I think um, community, I'm a community kid, was raised in a community, and there's oftentimes through our formation and the way the examples we give and the things that we say, we talk about a particular mold and a way um, that we can do it right. And um, I think that there's there are a lot of great ideals and principles, but um, I think how you execute those principles um, could be really wrong. And um, we could do whatever we need to do to get this outcome. And that might not be the path to holiness or what the Lord is asking of us, not just as parents, but as parents of this specific child. And so I think with our first, so our biological children also have special needs. And I, 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 we wrestled so much with that. Like, how do, can we keep them in line and to look this way and to present this way? 
Um, and then I think being a community kid myself, I, I gave this example recently and I was talking to my dad and um, teasing him about it that to show respect to adults, you know, you got to go to the door, you got to greet somebody by looking them in the eye. And so my dad practiced this with me, I feel like a hundred times. He like stood outside, would knock on the door, I'd open the door and I'd have to say, hi, Mr. Bernal, you know, I'd do it over and over again. And what he didn't know, um, I mean, I just had chronic anxiety. And so it was the worst thing in the world. It didn't matter how many times we practiced it at home. I was never going to be able to do that for somebody else. And I just think um, that's how I we started parenting was like, how much control can we have and authoritative? And this has just freed us because there's so little we can control and the needs are so great and there's so little we can do that it really is an absolute surrender. Um, and there's just moments of desperation and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Um, there has been many evenings or mornings where you'll find us just literally on our knees before a cross. Um, so that those are like the hard moments, but then it's this freedom to really get to know the person, you know, each of our children. And, you know, it's taught us to love our biological children um, with greater freedom and then all of our children. Um, so it's been a real gift, I think, to start asking the Holy Spirit, what do you want of us? Um, and how can we get to these principles as opposed to the, you know, the principles driving us um, and in a way that might not be holiness or healthy. Yeah, I mean, I think going along that, the word that came to mind was letting go of fear or the slow process of letting go of fear. And I think, um, you know, we're so blessed to be a part of uh, a covenant community um, and have received so much benefit and care um, from it. But I think one of the things that um, can be a temptation and be a, a real challenge in a in a community, Christian community type environment, um, is to take a, an oppositional stance to the world um, and to culture at large. Um, there's a real temptation to uh, kind of close yourself off and just be afraid of the world. Um, and certainly I'm, I experience that um, and it can be scary. Um, but one of the beautiful things that has, has happened is in, in opening up our homes to these situations which are desperate and which are scary and where, you know, people are in, in real need, it, you, just, you just realize um, that God can be in any situation. Um, and, you know, these people who maybe you would look at and say, man, they've made terrible choices or, you know, how could I ever be in a relationship with them? That at the end of the day, they're just people in need of uh, love and care and, and to have, and, and Jackie was alluding to this, just a little more um, hands off with my own kids and to realize that, you know, I can open them up to the world and to some of the suffering and some of the sin, but also the, their capacity um, to step into that and to be a witness uh, of love that I don't need to teach them to say the world is scary and you got to do all these things so you don't, you know, uh, go to hell. Um, 
that, no, the point is for you to grow in holiness and for you to be a son or a daughter of God and for you to be Christ's hands. And that's been one of the, the most beautiful witnesses for me. There's been some really hard times and I've had to come to grips, <laughs> you know, with my own sin and my own weakness. But I think the best times for me have not been when I've felt that I've done something really good, but when I've seen one of my children um, be generous and loving and just step outside themselves uh, in love for one of our kids or one of uh, one of our foster kids or, or their family or somebody in the community that we're serving. I mean, it's just the greatest delight as a parent to see that. I was just reading something today. It's funny you talk about that, the, you know, where do we look? Where is our main concern? Or as you say, Jeff, where is our fear centered? Is it on the world around us and quote unquote losing our kids or the things that the world can bring? Or is it on our own need for the Lord hmm. and our kids need for the Lord? The world isn't going to come steal my kids. My kids need to seek the Lord and, and, and give themselves to the Lord. That's what's needed. And that helps me understand, well, I can't really make that happen. Mm. <laughs> uh, but if we get into an oppositional frame of mind with the world and, and, and it, you feel like as dad, I can, I, I should protect my kids mm. from this. And it's like, that's a losing game. <laughs> and, it, and it's also not the right, it's not the way the Lord um, calls us to be, I think. Hmm. You've you kind of anticipated one of the things I wanted to ask about, but I'll just probe a little bit more. You're in community. Jackie, you grew up in community. Can you just talk about why, how, how the Lord has led you to be in community as a couple and then how that interfaces with this other call that you have on your life? Um, I mean, you've, you've alluded to some of the tensions as well as the blessings, but I'd love to hear a little more about how those two things go together for you and how they don't go together mm. and how you might see them going together better, like aspirationally, what, how, how could, how could these two things fit together better than they do in your experience? Sure, I'll just I'll share a little bit about just how we how we came to community. Jackie um, is a community kid, and I don't I don't get the sense that she ever really uh, revolted. Um, I, I think she you know she saw the good in it, and um, I'm not it, a real community kid then. That's if I right. Didn't, like. That's true. She never she never had a rebel. Yeah, are you um, a real community kid if you didn't have a rebel face? <laughs> if I didn't have the syndrome <laughs> deep in my blood. So as long as I've known Jackie, which is since college, I mean, she always had a great love um, for community. And for me, mine was a little bit of a, um, a, a, a love and a distance and a, you know, kind of a, a discernment process. I kind of come from, a, uh, like I said, a small town where there, you know, there was no such thing as charismatic worship. And um, so all of that took took some time. But being an SPO and um, living in community. Um, I remember praying as a, as a freshman at St. Thomas and just feeling pretty lost and just praying, Lord, send me some friends, just send me Catholic friends. You know, I'm just, um, I'm not doing well. And the Lord answered that prayer. And then the next three years, um, 
we're just truly blessed living with other people um, in in SBO. And so we got married pretty much right out of college, um, and um, immediately um, joined the discernment of um, community. And I wouldn't say that it was um, all perfect, or that I knew certainly right away that I wanted to be in community. Um, but over the the five or six years of discernment, um, just the I, I, the love that we experienced and being a part of uh, a, a bigger body, and as we started to have kids, um, it just became so clear. I think you know, there's not any one thing that I can say besides. Um, really beginning to live the life. I think there was a distance that I had, a skepticism. Um, I can be fairly intellectual and intellectualize things. Um, but once I just committed, like, okay, if I'm going to discern this, I have to live it. Um, living the life, um, the fruit was there. And I think now as we, especially the last few years, um, have stepped more into um, serving the poor, um, doing foster care, um, I think the the biggest blessing, well, one of the biggest blessings has just been the conversion that community has done in my own heart uh, of relationship. So knowing how to be in relationship with people and relational evangelization. And, you know, we before we started doing the work that we're doing now, we had looked at, um, well, we want to go out and we want to serve the poor as a family. Like that's important to us and going and serving at a at a soup kitchen or something like that. Um, but it's just become so clear to us that service of the poor is is just like any other. It's just like the service that SPO or UCO um, or that we ought to be doing in community of spreading the gospel, which is being in relationship with people. And that's hard and that's really messy. Um, and it's the thing that I struggle with the most um, is is really diving into relationships with people. But that's what it is. It's not about any specific event or thing that we host. It's about, you know, living alongside um, these brothers and sisters. And that, to me, has been the thing that that our life and community has, has trained us and, and helped us. Not only trained us, but also then having a body um, to support us. Yeah, I would say my... Some of the struggles then, and those are all the positives and the good. I think some of the struggles are right now, um, I don't know how to articulate it. It's just this desire to run faster and deeper in our particular mission. Um, and I think there's a loneliness there where you're looking at a big body and saying, um, <laughs> why Why do we look so different? Um, we we want to do this with people. We want to do this work and live life, um, the life that we're living alongside of people. Um, so that, that's definitely a struggle of ours. Um, I think the Lord has spoken to us too of just like being pioneers is always hard and, um, there's that loneliness and, um, there's a gift of so much grace. Um, and then mercy, just how easy it is for me to extend mercy to those whom we serve, like the addicts, the those who have abandoned their children. I mean, these really hard situations, I have no problem being stood up multiple times and 
giving of myself and my time um, with with a certain people, um, being merciful. And then when it's my brothers and sisters who I've covenanted my life with, um, I just struggle. I struggle to extend that mercy. And so the Lord this summer in particular was just really challenging me. Are you building bridges? Are you running? Um, and I know not just because of our covenant, I think obviously that's a very tangible like thing to turn back to. Um, but this is home. Community's home to me. And I want I, I want to share the beauty of this call and this way of life with those whom I love. Um, and so not to just continue to to venture out on our own, but his voice to us really was, how can we bring it back? How can we bridge? How can we build? Um, and I and I just realized how much I desire that to build something with these people, you know, with uh, my brothers and sisters. So there's, again, a definite tension there. Um, but it's, it's been a healthy tension. Mm. You know, there's, um, I think a lot of, a lot of growth right now, first in ourselves, I would say, and, and we'll see what comes next. Hmm. Wow. (laughs) I'm like so inspired. (laughs) I'm probably going to keep saying this as we do the podcast, but this is such a gift for me because I've never met you guys. <laughs> and here I am. And I'm like, wow, I'm so called on by your life. And you're you come, come. I, this is an invitation I give to anybody who feels they're inspired by our life. You just come and spend a weekend. I was going to say a dinner. Uh, we one, dinner. Seen dinner one dinner. Tonight. That's all it takes. And the inspiration will be snuffed out. You said there, though, Jackie, I think um, obviously in a much different state of life myself, but um I think there is something really interesting about all of us when we live life in community together. Um, I remember early on when I was connecting and I was an underway member before I made my public commitment. I talked like that was so long ago, but it wasn't. (laughs) Um, I remember struggling with a set of things that I felt like made, made me feel isolated from other people and saying, you know, well, why aren't people, you know, why do I feel so different? And why do I have all these things that make me feel isolated? And I remember I had a pastoral leader who just sort of encouraged me and said, Bridget, like you should talk to more women in community and ask them about the experience of being isolated. And so I did that. I actually just started to ask more of the women I was spending time with, um, about how they experience relationships and if they ever experienced that. And it, it shocked me actually how many people I talked to who in my mind were like in community, whatever that means. Um, but they too experienced just a lot of isolation. And, um, I think that's just one of the ways that I think Satan can get at us in our relationships as brothers and sisters is to point to things that set us apart from each other. When in reality, he wants the Lord wants us to build those bridges and to receive life from each other. Um, but anyway, I just appreciate that you called that out and because I think it's easy to experience it and not vocalize it. And, and when we do, it's, it's very helpful. So. Yeah. Yeah. And as you were sharing, I just, I had the thought they're pioneers. Mm. And then you said you had a sense that being a pioneer is difficult and yeah, totally, you know, Ooh. because you're doing the heavy lifting and kind of going before. And, um, do you guys, uh, I, I think you have a group of friends there that are doing some 
similar things or you share a common heart for the poor. Can you say something about um, what that looks like there and some of the different things going on in St. Paul? Yeah, so about, well, right around um, coronavirus, school shut down. Um, the O'Hara family, who we've mentioned, is in community with us. And like I said, we do respite care with them. Um, she does PCA work for us. So our lives are super intertwined. So these kids who were not at school um, were crashing at Jill's house, a lot of these teen boys. And so then she's at my house. So that means the teen boys are crashing at my house. Um, and, you know, we've built relationships with them. Um, there are a bunch of kids that just come from broken families, um, have hard stories. If you've been in foster care multiple times, um, and Jill's and Ryan have done a phenomenal job of opening their home and welcoming them. Um, and then it was kind of like, well, we're opening. That's what we've always wanted. It's a house of hospitality. So we opened our doors and then I said, why don't we just formalize this a little bit? So there's more of a rhythm, um, given that I have, you know, the six kids and naps and whatever craziness. Um, and the age range is, is really different, you know, two to 10. Um, and her youngest is 14. So 14 to 18. And these boys were somewhere in that 14, 15 range. So we started doing Tuesday, Thursdays, we would make meals with these boys, um, to distribute to their families. And then, um, the impoverished communities just drop off as people were struggling. Um, and then started inviting community members, um, trying to invite men from community to come and put on some sort of activity and just connect with them. These, these boys, most dads are not in their lives, um, and probably never will be. Um, and then that just turned into <laughs> more kids and, um, them telling then maybe it was a cousin or, you know, so it just kind of grew. Um, and then with the foster care, we continue, our vision is kind of like family, a family fostering families. So we don't just keep in touch with, you know, it's not just while they're in our home, but we do our best to keep in touch with the whole family and continue to serve them. Um, so those kids are in our life. And so, um, just started inviting friends who have similar hearts and calls to do work with us. So then, um, that became, so we called that Endeavor Bosco Boys. And then now we have this group of kids, you know, anywhere from, I don't know, can go be up to 20 kids that come on Fridays. So we bought a, Jeff and I bought a 15 passenger beater. I mean, this thing is like a beast. Um, it ended up finally rusting out the back row. You could see the road as we drove. Um, but we're like, we have five kids and we're buying a 15 passenger, but it was just the next step. Um, so now it's about, so there's three set families, some singles, um, and then these other families that'll kind of come and go on Fridays, typically, where we go to the east side, um, pick up a bunch of kids and then do something with them and feed them and then um, send them back home with some food. Uh, so the hope is to not to continue to live this pattern and these rhythms without making it very official <laughs> or um, organized, because then I think we lose the spirit of um, what we we can offer and what they can, because sometimes we can plan something and there's only two kids that show up, even though they all said they were coming. 
Um, and that's the beauty of that is that sometimes, you know, when that happens, it's like these families that are around, we get time together. Um, so that's kind of what where we're at right now. Community has um, also. So as as this work has grown and like I said, this desire to bridge with community, um, we were, were asking the question, can this type of work fit under the umbrella of community? Um, just like you have college outreach, you have young married outreach, and um, you have uh, young professionals, a service to the poor um, that is a little bit more focused or organized, and um, community has, kind of, has supported us and said, well, why don't we look at maybe starting in the fall with a small group of people whose mission this would be? Um, so we're in the process of recruiting and finalizing that and then kind of like a two-year discernment to figure out how it fits and if it fits. Um, so that's been huge, huge. Um, but it is, yeah, I think the tricky part, again, is like we, we, re we just know that the more official it gets, um, the harder the organic feel and the nature of the chaos, um, keeping that what it is. So there's going to be a real tension there. And um, so just trying to follow the Holy Spirit to allow him to move us and not just like look for numbers or specific projects or big events, but just to say, like, who are your people and who are we love in this way? Yeah, and that's always a tension in community. Right. And when you talk to people who are in community from the beginning, there's always a, a grief that it's not as organic as it was at the beginning. And even our um, understanding of community is that it's essential that it stays relational and familial and not become an organization and a, right. you know, structure. And so I think you're intuiting the same thing in this arena that it has to be relational and familial hmm. and what you're looking for is support and, and, and coming around and doing things together, but not, not the structure that feels like it might kill. Yeah. The thing, so. and I, I just think that it's the, what I see, like anybody could serve the poor or like Jeff was saying, volunteer somewhere. Um, so the hope with this per particular group is to be a bridge to be a bridge in relationships. Like, so we have um, one of our friends that we serve and now share life with. She is the first person, in her whole family to own a home. And so her first kid she had when she was 15 and has six kids, single mom and has always worked her butt off. And I was like, well, I know someone I can connect you with. And then that just took off and he was able to get everything in order for her to get this house. Um, the same with some of our, the kids we know, their housing situation, or um, even one of the foster kids that we had that we knew couldn't stay here because of some of um, her issues, we were able to connect her with another family. And so that we aren't the work, <laughs> you know, the work is really like, it's, it's extending that love. And there are so many people we know that are so gifted and so capable, um, but like, how are they going to meet these people? So we're going out, we're meeting the people and we're saying, hey, we can we can make those connections. We can be the bridge for you. And I think everything going on right now with um, 
in Minnesota, in particular, St. Paul, um, with the trial and with um, now Dante Wright, there's just more conversation and um, the questions being asked, like, well, what can we do and how? And so I think, well, I know what you can do. Um, And it just is a more natural way to then connect people versus, you know, them just going to door to door or showing up somewhere, you know, like we're going to, we'll create the space or we'll do the connecting. And um, the response has been amazing. We just had a girls night actually at a friend's house who she hosted. So she got all like, she got all the food, all the nail stuff, all whatever. And I brought over, I think it was nine girls, you know, from the ghetto. Um, And she loved it and her daughter loved it. And it was just such a gift. And I saw like, it was it was so easy for me and so life giving for her and these girls, um, and that's all it took. You know, community people really are willing. That's great. Wow, it's really an exciting. <laughs> We're uh, calling this podcast "Living Bulwark," and I, I I'm just thinking about that as you talk. It's like. That's what the Lord feels like. What the Lord's building is a, a bulwark out of people, hmm. a, of living stones built up for Him, and, and um, especially to be a refuge for vulnerable and hurting people. Hmm. Uh, that's really beautiful. Wow. <laughs> I, I, uh, when we got off, I wanted to say something more than wow, but all I could think of was wow. Cause I just thought they're so amazing. What a gift. Yeah. You know, we're, we're the living bulwark podcast here. And I think talking to them is it's, these are living stones that the Lord is building into a bulwark and the way that they're so tangibly defending the defenseless and hmm. and um, helping the vulnerable. It's really inspi- inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just also beautiful to see um, the Lord in our midst, in our body, with our brothers and sisters. Different people are given different gifts and even different missions. And I think this is a mission that maybe we don't see very often in our midst, um, but so beautiful that they're a part of us doing it. Um, and with the Lord give that mission to many more of us. <laughs> yeah, I I think about our society becoming more and more, I think, um, separated out. And mm. it, I, I thought what they were t- saying, how it's very hard for m- most community members to have these contacts mm. mm-hmm. and to have to know who to help. Mm. But uh, their bridge building makes it possible for many more people to help. That's really what we need Mm. in in our society and in our communities Mm -hmm. so blessings on jeff and jackie and all the stuff that's going on there amen living bulwark is a sword of the spirit podcast Our program is produced by John Wilson and Bridget Bonifant. Peter Wilson is our sound engineer, and music for our podcast was written and performed by Peter Wilson and Will Cannon.